It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Katie Pavlich, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. I'm Dave Anthony. As another round of American military aid to Ukraine remains held up in Congress, Russia is ramping up the attacks. Where is this all going and how long and how many times will Biden come back to the American people and say, give me more and more and more? I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The new year begins with yet another record being broken at the southwest border. As more people come from around the world, officials warn we have no clue who most of these people are. Plenty of folks are coming across are perfectly fine people. Probably make good neighbors, right? But it's, we don't know, it's a lot of the other ones we don't know that sure. are the biggest concern because we do catch a lot of really bad people. So you figure there's certainly more that we don't catch. And I'm Dr. Mark Siegel. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Now that it's 2024, Russia's war on Ukraine rages for a third calendar year and it's only getting worse. Russia's intensifying its attacks, launching barrages of missiles and drones for several days. The one last Friday was the biggest aerial assault since the invasion began in February 2022. Dozens of Ukrainian civilians have been killed in recent days with a lot of damage in cities, including the capital, Kiev, with Russian President Vladimir Putin vowing to hit them harder, blaming Ukraine for a deadly attack in the Russian city of Belgorod. He calls that terrorism. U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Bridget Brink, posted yesterday on X, It is urgent and critical. We support Ukraine now. President Biden said last month, We need to ensure Putin continues to fail in Ukraine and Ukraine to succeed. And the best way for that to do that is to pass the supplemental. But that bill providing another $61 billion in military aid to Ukraine is stalled on Capitol Hill. Well, the conflict is clearly settled into a stalemate now. Uh, It is a war of attrition. Congressman Michael Waltz is a Republican from Florida. And I think the Biden administration needs to take responsibility for that. President Biden has dithered and slow rolled uh, getting the Ukrainians what they needed to decisively win largely because of his fear of Putin uh, and Biden's look, nobody wants to get into World War Three. However, uh, he has such a fear of any type of escalation. Sometimes you have to escalate to de-escalate or you have to escalate to win that now uh, this is going to go for the foreseeable future. Uh, and I think it is right of the Congress and the American people to ask what's the strategy, where is this going, how long is it going to take, and we've stopped Putin, clearly, from taking over all of Ukraine, but what is in line with our interests going forward before we continue to sign tens of billions of dollars uh, over to this effort? Congressman, you, you say that the Biden administration was slow. They say that they've given billions of dollars, that they've continued to give air defense. They, they have authorized tanks. They've, they've sent over right. munitions. They've sent over all kinds of things. And they did another one in December. But now that they've done all they can and they've 
they've exhausted pretty much the resources that have already been approved by Congress. So what did he do wrong? If you kind of rewind the tape, uh, remember that uh, right up front, the Ukrainians were asking for Patriot missiles, for stingers, for tanks. Uh, yes, Biden eventually gave them to him, but, you know, it was often months, if not years too late. And eventually Biden would get to 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 the answer. But it was only after months and months and months of of, of uh, the Ukrainians practically begging and losing or at least not winning on the battlefield. So I think it's clearly been from the Biden administration, a strategy to help Ukraine not lose rather than give them what they need, do it decisively, do it early so that they could win and end this thing. Now, uh, because we've kind of trickled, I mean, yeah, Biden's given it to him eventually, but he's trickled it in. Uh, we're in this long slog war of attrition. Uh, Putin believes that time is on his side. And, uh, you know, again, where is this all going and how long and how many times will Biden come back to the American people and say, give me more and more and more. But what if we uh, give for, them no more, Congressman? What if, Then yeah. what? If, if Congress decides well, no think, more, what then? I think a key, a key part of this is, uh, are the Europeans stepping up and giving enough? Uh, they say they've given a lot of humanitarian aid, but when you look at the actual military aid, the stuff that's needed to end this thing— they have given a fraction of what the U.S. has given, particularly the big economies like Germany and France and Italy. Uh, some of the smaller ones like Poland and the Baltics have done uh, extraordinary work. But the big European economies have held way back. They still haven't lived up to 2% of their defense. I just don't think this can all be uh, on the United States' shoulder, on the American taxpayer's shoulder, for the foreseeable future and for Biden to say, if you ask questions about my strategy, then you're pro-Russia is ridiculous. Look, at the end of the day, I think it is fair and reasonable for Congress as the overseer of the taxpayer dollars to say you have to answer these questions in order for us to go forward. OK, so what will get you to be a yes and your Republican colleagues to be a yes for more funding to Ukraine? Well, we need to see a decisive strategy that makes sense for Ukraine. You know, we have to ask ourselves and have this debate. Is it in the U.S.'s interest, uh, our national security interest, to expel Russia from every single inch of Ukraine, including Crimea? Perhaps in the very long term, but in the short term, is that in our interest? Or is it to hold the defensive line and prevent uh, Putin from being able to take any more? Those are two very different strategies once we answer that question. And we need to have, if they have to be behind closed doors, that's fine, some real conversations about how we get to the negotiating table. Mm -hmm. Finally, we need to be able to do both. This isn't an either or. We have to take care of our own border. Uh, and if the administration would come with some real policy changes to secure our own border, to deal with the humanitarian crisis and the national security crisis that it is right now, I think you'd see a lot more room and space to talk about helping our allies. Yeah, I know we had another record number in December, 302,000 migrants crossing the border illegally. That Those are the ones encountered. Then there's, of course, the, the gotaways. What policy do you want most of all changed? The policies that just a few years ago were working. Remain in Mexico while you're waiting on uh, an asylum claim. Title 42-like authorities uh, that we've had our entire history uh, where, you know, we have health screenings and other types of screenings. 
deportations for those who do not have legitimate asylum claims. And once you send the signal to the rest of the world that the border is closed, it's not wide open, you'll see these migrant trains slow way down. Again, these aren't pie-in-the-sky ideas. These are real policies that were implemented just a few years ago under the Trump administration, and the problem was a fraction of what it is today. Now to another problem, far away from the border. As Israel keeps battling Hamas in Gaza, Iran-backed militants keep targeting us in the Middle East, with more than 100 attacks aimed at U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria, while rebels in Yemen, also supported by Iran, keep targeting oil tankers and cargo ships in and around the Red Sea. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says... We don't seek a conflict uh, wider in the region. We certainly aren't looking for a conflict with the Houthis. But over the weekend, U.S. forces responded to a distress call as Houthis attacked a Maersk ship, sinking three of the militants' boats to stop them. As an American-led coalition is on patrol to keep that waterway safe. But now Maersk is joining other companies halting shipping through that area. Well, the White House has to change policies as it pertains to the Houthis uh, that are firing these missiles and drones and their Iranian backers that are supplying them. So right now, our ship captains uh, out there on our Navy ships in the Red Sea, they're allowed to shoot down the missiles and the drones but they're not allowed to fire on the shooters themselves from the shoreline. So that's kind of like telling a police officer, you can dodge the bullets, uh, you can swat them down, uh, but you can't shoot back at the actual shooter uh, and take out the shooter themselves. So eventually, one of these drones or missiles, I fear, are going to get through and and cause a catastrophic loss of one of our ships. I, I guess that's what it's gonna take to get the White House to shift policy. They are so worried about escalation uh, and any type of broader conflict outside of Israel, they're actually inviting aggression because the entire region knows we're not going to hit back in a decisive way. That's why you're seeing all of our bases fired on in Iraq and Syria. That's why you're seeing our ships being fired on in the Red Sea, because they know the Iranians uh, have instructed all their terrorist proxies that they're not going to get hit back, uh, and eventually their missiles or drones will get through. The other thing, and this is why every American, aside from uh, worried about our sailors and soldiers, should care, this is going to drive the cost of oil and gas and through and all kinds of commerce through the roof. Uh, 20% of global trade passes through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, and if you have major international shipping companies saying you have to divert around Africa or elsewhere – uh, that's only going to add to cost and add to inflation and, and more disruption to the global economy. So you would have us firing at these militants inside Yemen. Would you carry would you take out well, these, an airstrike? These missile teams. Yeah, these missile teams. And I've I've talked to several ship captains. They know where the missiles are coming from. Uh, you hit back and take them out. Uh, then you, know, you you've now eliminated at least the immediate problem. The longer term problem uh, is that Iran is flush with cash. Uh, we have a, This administration has essentially ignored sanctions enforcement for the last few years. Their foreign currency reserve, their oil sales, as long as Tehran is flush with cash to fuel their uh, terrorist proxies, whether Hezbollah, Hamas, or the Houthis, the problem is only going to persist. That's going to be a long-term problem for Israel and the United States. 
We have launched some retaliatory strikes to the attacks in Iraq and Syria, especially the one that did leave some U.S. service members injured, one critically. We did launch airstrikes after that. So we've done some, haven't we? Here's the problem. The Iranians are using their proxy militias in Iraq to launch these strikes. If we only hit back at the proxies in a limited way, Iran, that's a good deal for Iran. They'll trade their their proxy militia lives for American and Israeli lives all day long. I've heard some of your colleagues say that we shouldn't even have our forces in Iraq and Syria anymore, that, that they're just targets. They may not serve much of a purpose. Do, what do you think of that? I think that's incredibly short-sighted. It sounds good. Well, let's just let's just remove uh, the target. But the problem is, and I would tell my colleagues, and I do, our forces are there to keep a lid on ISIS. And if they want to repeat what Obama did in 2011, when he just yanked everybody out with no plan to keep a lid on terrorism, what did we have? We had ISIS surging across the Middle East, inspiring attacks in the United States, launching attacks in Europe. So those they are very limited forces. They're intelligence and special operations uh, operatives and drone operators. So every time that we cheer, we've taken down another leader of ISIS and we've kept a lid on that problem. You can't launch those operations from Kansas. You have to have people forward. And I want to have those fights over there, not back here at home. Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican from Florida. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. I'm Dana Perino. As we usher in the new year, we'll be taking a look at a new phase of the candidates' presidential campaigns. This week, Republican strategist Colin Reid joins me again with a closer look at how things are heating up in the race for the White House and beyond. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcast.com. This is Dr. Mark Siegel with your Fox News commentary coming right up. Customs and Border Protection officials say there were more than 302,000 migrant apprehensions at the southwest border in the month of December alone, a record for a single month-long period. 785,000 migrants have come since October 1st. Former acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf reacted to the numbers on Fox's America Reports Tuesday. It's astronomically high. You can't break the system any more than they're breaking it. And, and I feel for, again, the Border Patrol agents who have now been three years into this crisis and they don't see any end in sight. In fact, they see the opposite. They see it going the opposite direction. On top of that, Immigration Customs Enforcement, which handles the interior, just released their year-end statistics. They deported more than 142,000 migrants, an increase over the prior year, but far fewer than during the Trump years. Also, ICE deported 139 known or suspected terrorists, a far higher number than in any recent year, after the Border Patrol apprehended 169 people between ports of entry whose names matched those in the terrorist database in the fiscal year that ended September 30th. Now, since October 1st, CBP says they've encountered another 30 terror suspects. I, I don't know, does Iran have sleeper cells in America? Uh, you've got uh, direct do you FBI think they director do? raid. Wisconsin Republican Senator Ron Johnson told Fox's Harris Faulkner. It's entirely possible. I mean, we have six million people entering this country since the Biden administration started, almost two million as 
I would call them unknown gotaways. They're, they're detected. We, we know they're into this country. We have no idea who these people are. And with a record-breaking month for apprehensions, agents say they don't know what to expect next. Every year under President Biden, things have just progressively gotten worse. We've continued to hit new records. John Infanson is a Border Patrol agent and vice president of the National Border Patrol Council. Uh, and, and none of them are, I suppose, good records to hit. You know, we had in December, you know, it's out that there were over 300,000 encounters. And uh, it's a wild number. Like, it's hard. It could be hard for the average person to picture that. And in Del Rio sector, uh, about the middle of December, we had the largest single day number for a sector, which was, I think, just under 4,400 people just here in one day, which is like unheard of considering you go back maybe five years, six years, and we would see under a thousand in a week. So for us to be seeing 4,400 is crazy. We see our our reporter, Bill Malusian at the border talking to, really, it seems like men coming from all over the world. And they, they tell him, you know, the city they're going to, even if they don't speak English very well. And Malusian tells us, you know, that, that most of them will tell them that they're looking for like family members or they want to work. Are these people claiming asylum? Like, how are they being released into the country? Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, they're they're claiming asylum because there isn't really a process in place to vet anything right here at the border. So uh, you go back maybe I think it was around 2012 or so. We used to be able to ask some questions kind of when someone would claim that they had a credible fear of returning home to their country. We could ask some questions to figure out, like, does this fear qualify as someone who's truly being persecuted by their government? And during the Obama administration, we were eventually told to stop asking those questions. Once someone has said yes, they have a fear, a credible fear of returning home, that's it. Move on to the next part and process them accordingly as, as mm. uh, somebody seeking asylum. So that's carried on over the years. And at this point, if someone's showing up where they are, that underneath the bridge or you know, over in Arizona in the desert, they're claiming asylum. And everyone's just being processed as such. And there's no real vetting. Wow of their fear. What do you, I mean, you guys must talk about it, right? Um, about what you think could be done. We, we know the Biden administration, right? They say this is on Congress. You guys need to work together, pass immigration reform. And oh, by the way, the president has proposed something. And then Republicans say, well, or you could work with us because we passed our own bill last year. So we see the back and forth, but we all know a president can take some executive action to deal with the border. We saw President Trump do it. Um, what what do you guys, I guess, think this president could do with the stroke of a pen that hasn't been done, even if it's undone by a future president? Well, I mean, he certainly took executive action to shut down everything that President Trump had set up. So, you know, it, it really comes down to having consequences, because right now there are no consequences. If you were if you're crossing the border <laughs> seeking asylum, people are getting court dates in. 20, I saw 2031 uh, oh. in some some articles, and it's those aren't consequences. Those, those folks will be here for a long time. They're gonna they're gonna get married. They're gonna have kids. They're gonna gain assets. They're gonna buy homes. Like they're gonna establish a life here, and uh, they're the only way that you get this to stop or slow down dramatically is dissuade people from crossing the border the way they have been, uh, and we're never gonna be able to physically stop them because once they've crossed the border, they're in. We got to take them into custody, but. If they knew that they were going to be detained and kept in our custody until 
uh, their their claim is evaluated and ultimately adjudicated, some people are going to stop because they don't want to sit in immigration detention mm. for a long period of time. Because right now they get to they get to leave and hit the streets. The problem is we only have so much bed space in the immigration facilities, and that would fill up in a matter of a few days, and then we're right back to where we are now. You're cutting people to the street, so. The White well, House could do some stuff. They just don't have any policies in place that President Trump had at the time. Yeah, to that point, you know, when Secretary Blinken and Secretary Mayorkas traveled to Mexico last week, I guess that they came out of that with, uh, like, part of the discussion was this idea of, of regularizing, I think was the word, illegal immigrants who've been living in the U.S. for years, including those protected by DACA, which was Obama's policy in 2012, protecting those who were brought here as children who are undocumented. Regularizing uh, migrants who've been living here um, illegally. When you hear that that's the thing, that that's one of the things that came out of this meeting, what is your response? I mean, it doesn't surprise me at this point. Mexico has absolutely zero incentive to stopping people from doing what they're doing, transiting through their country to come here. It's, it's a huge part of their economy at this point. People just traveling to the country, spending money. Uh, mm. there's, the cartels are involved in it. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of money flowing into Mexico from all of these millions of people coming through the country. So it doesn't, these discussions shouldn't be focusing on, hey, what are we going to do with, about the folks that have already made it here or were brought here when they were kids? That's a whole other conversation. Right. It needs to be about... <laughs> Like Mexico doing something or figuring out how do we incentivize Mexico, stop what they're doing. And it doesn't sound like that was actually part of the discussion. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, you know, many like to talk about the whole remain in Mexico program as a solution, because when Trump did it, it, it kept so many south of the border. There were a lot of complaints. A lot of people said it was unfair, but these people stayed south of the border while their asylum cases played out. You would need cooperation from Mexico for such a program. Even if this president went down that road, would it be even possible to your knowledge of, of, I guess, how relations are with Mexico right now? Would they even be on board for that at this point? Uh, I, I don't know how they would be. I mean, in, in my opinion, it's Mexico has sort of the power in this particular power struggle because they can turn off the flow of people going through the country if they wanted to. They don't. They leave mm -hmm. it on. And Mexico cooperated President Trump, I think, because they were too afraid of what he was going to do if they didn't. And it, he, he kept them on their toes, so to speak. Right. Yeah. That's the word consequence. The word. Right? Yes. Word of the day that here, it, <laughs> at this point, they mean nothing. And uh, if, if, um, if there were actual consequences for that, you might see Mexico do something to help. But now it's just, they'll, they'll say, okay, we'll stop people from riding the trains because trains allow them to move faster through the country so they do that for a couple of days and then then you see video of them people riding the trains again with three days later and it's just there's no ability in mexico to um i don't know to make a deal that everybody would stick with because there's too many people involved in earning money or making money off of the, mm -hmm. the trade of people through their country just a couple more for you you know senator tim scott said it on a debate stage you know the, the this concept that maybe terror cells are already here and Tuesday, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin said it again. Um, that's obviously terrifying, especially because our FBI director did warn us that we are in an extremely heightened threat environment, unlike anything in years, given what's happening in the Middle East. We, we've seen the, the increasing number of 
terrorist people caught between ports of entry whose names match those names on the terrorist database. I don't know what to make of, of that. How nervous should we be given everything I just said? Uh, it's it, it's very concerning. You know, when all of our agents are stuck indoors processing, obviously they're not out patrolling. And, you know, we have, we have gotaways that we refer to as like known gotaways, either because we, we saw it on camera or we found their footprints or whatever. And then there's always this other unknown number of people who get away that we didn't even know were there. And in past years, those sort of both gotaways in both categories are the ones that we worried about, but we don't even, you don't even need to, to successfully sneak into the country anymore. You just need to show up at the border and you'll get processed and released. And we don't, you know, we'll, we'll run whatever records checks we can. We'll fingerprint everybody. But for the most part, that's only going to help if you have a record here in the United States already. If you've right. never been here before, we don't know who you are. And we're just right. trusting that the documents you have are real. So it's very concerning to all of us. And every day agents are just upset that we're not doing the job that we were trained to do. Okay, finally, then on that note, you know, given what you all see every day and what your agents see every day, do you all have some discussion or speculation even about why this is happening? I mean, this isn't just, right, people from Mexico and, and Central America. Now we, we know, right, it's people from all over the world. Are you all having like these talks about like why has this been allowed uh, i think it's it, well it's always political right every time depending on who's in the white house it changes our job if it's a, if it's a democrat in the white house it, it job is harder to do because there's a lot of political forces to let as many people in as possible if it's a republican generally easier to do the job because they support it but wait uh, did you now, guys feel that way during obama because he was called right the deporter in chief right ice was very busy with uh with deportations three million right sure i mean they were busy but it's uh, that's they had, they had a bunch of people who were deserving of deportations, and they were at least allowed to do that. It was for us. It was to a different degree. We had our own issues. Like I said, they stopped us from asking further questions about people who were claiming uh, asylum, and there were a lot of other policy changes to, just to make their job a little more difficult. But now it's to the point where I mean, President Biden, during his campaign, his first campaign, was saying that this is what he was going to do. He said he's going to shut down wall construction. He's going to undo Trump policies. Like he said this is what would happen. So that message went out. People crossed. More people crossed. And then they tell their friends and family back home that it works. So now everybody's, I think, seems just trying to get across while they figure this is the time to do it. So while plenty of folks are coming across are perfectly fine people, probably make good neighbors, right? But it's, we don't know. It's a lot of the other ones we don't know that sure. are the biggest concern because we do catch a lot of really bad people. So you figure... There's, there's certainly more that we don't catch. John Amphitson uh, with the National Border Patrol Council. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm Emily Campagno, host of the Fox True Crime podcast. In 1989, the bodies of a mother and her two young daughters were found floating in Tampa Bay. The case went cold for years until one woman was brought onto the case. This week, I had the honor of speaking to retired FBI Special Agent Jana Monroe to discuss her incredible career and how she helped catch the killer. Available now on Apple, Spotify, and foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Dr. Mark Siegel. What's on your mind? If there is one thing we learned from the pandemic or should have learned, 
It's that control of viruses is only one part of public health. If I tell you that we are in the midst of a bad respiratory virus season right now and advise you take precautions, I must also tell you that isolation and excess reliance on social media has been shown to spread anxiety, fear, and loathing. Indeed, loneliness is another kind of contagious pathogen that we must not forget about. No cell phones at the table, please. Now that's a great New Year's resolution. Social media has been linked to the rise in anxiety and depression among our young. Now is the time to exhibit kindness and understanding, not divisiveness or strife born of political differences. How's that for a New Year's resolution? Kindness and understanding. Exchange hugs, virtual or real, around the holiday table, and the oxytocin, happy hormone you release, will lead to a decrease in stress, blood pressure, and risk for heart attack or stroke. A recent study of 59 women showed those who frequently hugged their partners had lower blood pressure, and a 2012 study in psychoneuroendocrinology found that couples who stayed together had higher levels of oxytocin than non-attached singles did. It turns out that bonding and generosity and hugging and caring are all healthy. Exchange the deep emotions of fear and worry for the more positive emotions of courage, laughter, empathy, and love. How's that for a New Year's resolution? Come together with love and overcome the divisiveness of our times. Being caring and kind is also contagious. And remember, your kids are watching you. They are modeling your emotional responses. And kindness is one bug we all want them to catch. Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.